0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Why would someone sue Twitter for an ISIS attack? yes this week on download this show a landmark court case from victims of an isis attack may well reshape the internet altogether plus also on the program would you pay to be verified on facebook or instagram and the battle for the sky nbn's skymaster satellite program versus elon musk's starlink why some consumers are allegedly jumping from one to the other all of that and much more coming up this is your guide to the week in media technology and culture my name is mark finnell And welcome to download this show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, creative technologist joining us from Brisbane, Jesse Hughes, welcome back to the show.
2: Thanks so much.
1: And social media strategist extraordinaire, that's right. I'm I'm giving you the... I don't actually know what extraordinary means, but it sounds impressive. Meg Coffey, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I like that intro. That's a good one. Now, there is a very intriguing case unfolding in the US at the moment. Meg, it involves ISIS and Twitter, (laughs) and I'm fascinated by it. Give me the basics.
0: Oh, look, I shouldn't be laughing at it, but it kind of, it's one of these cases that just makes you laugh in bewilderment at it. There's actually a couple cases that are before the U.S. Supreme Court at the moment that are really going to sort of shape the future or have the potential to shape the future of social media and our interactions. They um, they revolve around the Section 230 law, which which basically says that the, the platforms or digital entities are not responsible for the content that is published on them. Now, the Section 230 was put into play in, in 1990, So when it was written, it wasn't written for the current platforms. So what this lawsuit is saying is are these platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Google, are they responsible ultimately for the, the information that is being distributed on their platforms or are the people that publish it themselves?
1: Right. Do you think it'll work, Meg?
0: Well... Interesting. It, it, it is definitely a turning point. I think the question that all of us have had, the philosophical question is, are these platforms publishers or are they not? And and when Section 230 was put in, like I said, you know, the internet was a very different place. We didn't have the, the levels of distribution in the way that we do now. I think that there does need to be some more regulation. I mean, that's hard with a a global company. Um, But there does need to be more responsibility from the platforms for the information that is put on them.
1: Practically speaking, Jesse, if this complaint were to get through and uh, the platforms like Twitter would lose, Mm. what do you foresee would be the implications of that? How would they have to change their behaviour moving forward?
2: It's a really fine line. And (laughs) you could bring it up. It's just this idea of free speech. And um, because you... When you start deciding who can talk and who can't talk, I think there's there's obviously a lot of dangers, especially when you have, you know, activists who are speaking up about things. But then on the flip side, you have uh, terrorists who are trying to recruit and promoting dreadful things. And so it is a really fine line. I think, I think the other thing to mention is this idea of, like, we have algorithmic recommendations so everything on these these media platforms comes through like recommending another video another video and so um, especially in the case of Google it's like well if if Google's recommending um, a Isis recruitment video clearly that's not ideal. And so uh, I think that is kind of like the the basis for this discussion that's coming on. But say you have Republicans who are coming out and saying that their voices are being suppressed, whereas Democrats are saying that the algorithms are promoting and amplifying hate speech and harmful content. And so you kind of have this double whammy of you're controlling who kind of has a say. And it's this is a really going to be a foundational law in terms of free expression globally.
0: And I think there's two distinct things here. There is what the algorithm delivers, because that is controllable mm-hmm. by the platforms, mm-hmm. versus what the individuals are posting. And the the platforms are saying we can't be responsible necessarily for what individuals post. We have no control over that. They're two very distinct things, but in the same theme.
1: Mm. Is that necessarily true? Because I, I feel like in broad strokes, I've always kind of been of the view that when it comes to social media platforms, you get the audience you cultivate, right? <laughs> and, you know, I think we know that Twitter, at various different points in its life, it, it rewards certain kinds of behaviour. Um, mm. You know, I, I always say that Twitter kind of re- rewards fast twitch muscle responses, mm. right? The fastest, the snarkiest, the the fastest information is inherently rewarded. Is it necessarily fair to say that they cannot change their user behaviours, Meg?
0: Uh, I think they can change their user behaviors. I think there is that fine line of, you know, defining what speech is and what, you know, what people should be and shouldn't be allowed to say. But I definitely think that we can um, change behaviors. And I think that we can, I mean, I do think that the platforms are, are responsible for controlling the distribution of the information that is put on them. Where it comes down is to the definition of what the content is that that's problematic. And I think that that, that that's where... You know, it does need to be done by committee. It can't be done by an individual. You know, Twitter's a private platform. They can do whatever they want. That's a completely other conversation.
1: One of the issues that's come up here, and it's been raised in the context of this this lawsuit, is that if Twitter were to lose, it would open the door for a deluge of litigation against not just Twitter, but a range of other technology companies. Do you think that's actually what would happen?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I think so. I think we're in an age where it's kind of like we're 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 defining and setting the precedent for what is allowed with these platforms and what's allowed on one and what's allowed on the other. I think it's just kind of that's setting the norm for what we expect. What's interesting with this case is this idea of like Twitter. So, so the case of the family claims that Twitter knowingly provided substantial assistance to an act of international terrorism. And like that is quite a decent claim, like sub- substantial assistance to um, international terrorism. So, like, I think getting that over the line is quite big for, a you know, a, a global company or global entity which we use, I don't even know, how many users Twitter has these days? Gosh, it would million, billions, right? Not many. C-
1: certainly a lot more than they have staff, which seems to be ever-dwindling.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's, <laughs> well, that's the, this is the other major point that we're bringing up, right, is, like, the amount of cuts that have gone through Silicon Valley. Like, we've just lost tens of thousands of jobs. And so you're losing moderators. You're losing the people who are setting the rules and hopefully like protecting the community. And I think it's just this really kind of dangerous space right now where we don't have the people who are, you know, who, who should be there keeping the company afloat, you know, doing the right things. I think they've really just skinned it back to the bones of stuff and that's where kind of problems can arise. But it, this is definitely a real issue that we have on these platforms. And I think even we noticed when um, uh, Musk acquired Twitter, you know, he reinstated, like, Donald Trump got to come back on and Andrew Tate came back on and um, people who had previously been banned off the platform were now allowed back on. And so I think if you, I mean, I don't want to give the airtime to him, but, um you know, think of the, the damage that Andrew Tate has caused and, yeah, where the line is of, well you know, who's allowed platform, who's not. Um, clearly, there's, there's a degree when we move into actual terrorism, <laughs> which is why this case is, ge- like, genuinely so serious. And um, I think there were some cases of uh, ISIS-owned accounts that were reported and definitely taken down. So I think that reporting and moderating and accountability is really critical for these massive tech giants.
1: I suppose in some level this comes down to a philosophical debate over whether or not platforms like Twitter in particular and, and Facebook... They present themselves as being something of a town square. Like that go Mm. where the conversation is, right? (laughs)
0: Well, that's what Zuck said. He said that Facebook is the town square.
1: Mm. Right. And I guess if you're going to follow that analogy through to its conclusion, the town square is not necessarily responsible for what what people do and say in, uh, in the town square. But the problem is mm. they're not actually that. They're, yeah. they're proprietary companies and, and they and built within their terms and services are provisions for things like publishing because actually what you sign over to some degree is their ability to do, uh, is to publish on your behalf, right? So the the idea that they're not a platform that has publishing built into its DNA is not. It's not entirely true. This is where you encounter, I think, Meg, the limitations of the analogies like public square and publishers, right? Because it isn't—it isn't necessarily a one-to-one comparison for those things. It's something else. And I guess the question we now face is that: well, what do we? What components of that of that past model of a town square or or a newspaper? are worth pointing over? And at what point do we start over from scratch and go, actually, this is an entirely different entity, and do we need to build a different sensibility and a different set of expectations over what they are responsible and what they aren't responsible for?
0: Well, I think I think we're at that point now. I think that, that um, you know, as, as was referenced, the, the technology is moving much faster than the legislation, and so we really are at a point now. These cases wouldn't be they wouldn't have reached the Supreme Court if somebody didn't view this discussion as extremely important. Now, I think where the added complexity comes in is that these are multinational companies and we have mm. different rights for speech in different countries. So what is mm-hmm. allowed in the U.S. is not necessarily allowed in Iran or, you know, the U.K. or Australia or, or, or whatever. So I think that there needs to be some sort of... I mean, it's not necessarily legislation because uh, multinational, but it's like a code of conduct. Like everybody signs up to an agreed set of standards that if you're going to engage with these platforms, you must abide by a certain set of rules. And if you don't, then your access will be taken away because A, it's not good for their users, um, and B, it, it, it goes against the, you know, financially, it's got to hurt them financially, but it goes against the, the code that they all signed up to. We really also the need to get back to media literacy and, and start teaching that, yeah. you know, teaching kids what what t- journalism is and what truth is and, 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 and things like that, um, and, and just the basics, and, and I mean kids starting young.
1: Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guest this week, Jesse Hughes, creative technologist and social media strategist, Meg Coffee, Mark Fennell is my name. And while we're on the topic of social media services, we've become familiar with Twitter of late offering a paid-for blue tick service, basically saying that you're verified and you're a real person. But now another company, Jesse, is asking for the same thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Meta. Meta's joined the party. So Zuckerberg um, is offering up for Instagram and Facebook that you can now buy the blue verification tick, which, you know, early days of the internet was really exciting. Those people who had the blue tick, it was um, all fancy. But now for $11.99, you too can have a blue tick on your Instagram. I mean, there there's obviously motivation for this for maybe business owners or influencers or people who do use Instagram for for me and we've had this whole thing that's happened recently in terms of the way the algorithm has been working and so businesses have really been kind of hit hard in terms of their posting not getting the same amount of audience that they usually get and all this kind of stuff and so i think the blue tick is kind of promising that well firstly it's that you've been verified that you're authentically your account which again picking up post truth era um is important in this time of the internet yeah it's, it's gonna be interesting in terms of like whether everyday commoners <laughs> on on instagram are gonna be motivated to get this tick or not i personally can't really see why an a everyday user unless it's
1: just like for clout i thought we were committing to commoners is our term for people <laughs> would they are they the serfs <laughs> Does this make you a feudal lord? (laughs) How far into this do we want to go? Yeah,
2: yeah. We're just just commoners in our town square. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, the thing. so so I went deep-dived into this in terms of, like, what um, was their criteria, like, in terms of getting a verification badge. So, like, back in the day, pre this, you had to be authentic, so it had to be you and your account. You had to have, like, a unique presence so that it was you. It had to be complete, so you had to have, like, you know, actually, you have to have your own photo in the profile picture, which I thought was interesting and stuff. Um, And then notice. So your account must represent a well-known, highly searched for person, brand, or entity. So that was kind of like the way you used to get it. And now you can just kind of buy it in, which... Instagram is just kind of losing the plot for me personally. Like I I used to clock hours on that app. Like I love Instagram. I used to love Instagram. And now I open up my phone, 90% of the screen is a random video from an account that I don't follow. I scroll down, other things, a meme page, and everything else is an ad. You know, I was speaking to my friends about this, who also work in the space, and it just it seems like the joy or pleasure or fun that the account used to have of, you know, feeling connected to your community and with your friends, it just feels lost. And so Uh,
1: Yeah, look,
2: I don't think Blue Tick is really going to be the one to pull us all back together. I don't know. What's What's your take, Meg? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I was like, there was a real airing of grievances on the Instagram platform. Wow. Oh, my God. I'm like, honestly, I hear this is the millennial in
2: me. Like, I'm subbing. I'm like, where should I? Like, Snapchat's not for me. That's for the little ones. Be oh. real isn't fun enough. Like, and she was it. And I, now they've taken it.
1: Oh, <laughs> Didums, You can't pick the right platform for you. That's so hard. Dude, oh,
2: honestly, I was like, where should I belong? Where should I be? Like, I think they should be doing different. I mean, I, I'm trying to consider their motivation behind
1: this tick. Like, it's like, Okay, I... It's a money
0: grab. Yeah, but it's (laughs) lame. It's a straight money
2: grab.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Meg, for saying what everyone was thinking. I
2: just feel like they're losing it, though. It's like you... Like, the platform is not enjoyable anymore. And, like... Oh, I don't know. Okay. I can, I can moan all day. Look, we got... I, I'm, all I'm
1: right. gonna okay. So Jesse's going to sit in the corner of the studio, rock in a fetal position for a couple of minutes while we let Meg, Meg weigh in on this. Uh, obviously Money Grab, that's, I mean, they're commercial companies. They're going to, money is going to do what money wants to do. But is there, is there any reason to not have it? All right.
0: couple things for clarity. I have a blue tick on Twitter. I got it before I, I did. So this is a little bit Rockstar, hot authentic. kettle. Damn, okay. yeah, um, Mark, Mark. full disclosure, you've got a blue tick on Twitter. Do you you have a blue tick on instagram mm,
1: i believe it's a white tick but yes i have one
0: okay so you you are for the, just just disclosure we had them before it's not <laughs> like we paid them no. okay. i'm gonna buy my way into your club guys we were apparently at one point notable no longer. <laughs> um, now, the verified thing from Meta is an interesting one because we have to do point out that it is at this stage only for personal accounts. So it is not for business accounts. So anyone ah, that has, has switched themselves over to a business account isn't going to be eligible for this. Now, that right there is like what, what – person wants to be verified. That's just silly. You want the blue tick because you're somebody that is authentic, somebody that is notable, somebody that is being impersonated possibly. Mm -hmm. You are a business. Now the way that Facebook is set up, you can't access any of the monetization things. You can't access any of the fun stuff if you're a personal account. You have to be a creator account or a business page, so it's
2: from what? the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so from the start. So why would someone do that then? An everyday what? person. Why would
1: they want that? Well, no. I mean, if you're if you're a if you're somebody who wants to be regarded as a a thought leader my third least favourite phrase in the, in the modern, of the modern era, if you want to be a thought leader in, I don't know, accounting or something mm. else, then maybe that's a way of but bolstering. Surely they
2: would be an influencer. Well, and and do we, and then
0: this goes back to the crux of how we use social media. I don't use my personal profile. I don't want anyone to know about my personal profile <laughs> on Facebook. That's my personal yeah. stuff. Yeah. I have yeah. a page for people that are interested in me professionally. If I want to be the thought leader accountant... Don't you think I'd have a pay like why do they need Yet. to see photos of my cousins? That's
1: I don't know. It just it doesn't
0: it doesn't make sense to me. So that's what brings me back to the fact that it is it is a straight money grab. They are yeah. losing money in advertising like crazy. Ever since the Apple IOS updates, the ad the ad spend is just not the same. Throw mm. in the fact that, you know, people just aren't spending as much money.
1: You should probably point out that the, the Apple IOS uh update is meaningful because it, it stopped them tracking people, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm. So it
0: changed the it changed the way that that was tracking. So we all know that when we when when something is free, it's because we are the product, right? Mm. So we've been freely handing over our data to to Facebook, to all the platforms for a very long time now. Um, and when that Apple iOS update came through, it changed the way that the, that the platforms were able to track information through our phones and, and and through other devices, which really impacted all of the social media platforms' advertising models. They've got to come up with a solution. Mm. Now, I think it was in, uh, Facebook used to always have on the front of its page, always free or something along free and always will be. In 2019, that statement was removed. <laughs> we, are, we are definitely moving towards a pay-to-play system. What I think will be interesting is if we are really going into a recession, if we are really having to tighten these budgets like everyone says we are, is this the point where we go, you know what, I actually can't afford to be on all these platforms. Here's my, here's my chance to leave them.
2: I would pay I would pay eleven dollars to see my friend's content instead of that.
1: <laughs> well, okay, so then that's a that's a really important point, right? Mm. Okay, so we you know, the old adage, if you're not paying for it, you're the product, yada yada yada. But if we're now entering a universe where we are paying for access to social media platforms, this, and it harkens back to a conversation we've been having over the last couple of weeks on the show, which is, what are you getting in return? Right. So yeah. if I'm paying for a premium like for lack of a better concept, if I were to hand over money to a social media service, I would want there to be a material difference in my user experience. Right. Mm. Don't understand the logic of paying for something. A little badge that says I'm real, and I understand. And I understand what Correct. you sign up for <laughs> with that with blow check is is more than just that to some degree. But I think the bigger question is like for the people who've had access to social media services for the better part of, you know, well over a decade now, we understand what the baseline free experiences is. If you're going to pay for something, I think you, I think where there needs to be a broader conversation about what are you getting in return. And, you know, you brought it up, Jesse, seeing your friend's content. I <laughs> mm. I know you said it as a joke, but it's like, it would not be a bad starting point to have maybe more control over the timeline that mm. you see. Or, or or more control over what aspects of your content Go out to other people. I, I would say that you know there needs to be a slightly better developed conversation around value yeah. and what is the value of these platforms. Jessie. Well,
2: I mean, like the reason they boomed was because everyone got a sense of community automatically. We had social media, and it's like, well, if you weren't on social media, you're not part of the tribe. Like, and so it was this sense of belonging, which is an innate human need. So it was like belonging and like FOMO almost. It was just like, well, if you don't check your phone that day, you're going to miss out on seeing what your friends are up to, and you know that kind of sense. And since this new phase of whatever they're doing, like, it just to me, that's been completely lost. The, and I think that they're clearly trying to mimic the success of TikTok. The problem is TikTok's algorithms are absolutely perfect because they know everything and therefore, you know, for, you know that's a whole other <laughs> debate. But like they're, they're excellent at giving me videos I actually want to watch. Instagram is just giving me whatever is on the internet. They're like, we think you're around this edge. we're going to give you this stuff because you might like this, and it's always it just misses the mark. And um, yeah, I just feel so kind of like disengaged from these things, which is crazy for someone who used to be like addicted. I would, I definitely think I was addicted to that platform. But now I just kind of like, well, if my friends aren't there, like I don't want to hang out anymore. It's almost, it's almost like, well, where do we go next? I think photos still need a place in society and I know they're trying to push for video but like
0: but Instagram's have- going back to photos I mean he, they, they've announced in the past couple of days that they realize that they've gone over the edge and oh, that there is, <laughs> there is that lean no I think, I, I think just back to the point that uh, about increased reach right we yeah. all want increased reach and that's what advertising was you, yeah. you got increased reach through advertising what I have a problem with is they're saying that you now get customer service I'm sorry customer yeah. service should be a basic should be a basic right like yeah so you should have access to someone to help you I shouldn't have to pay for that.
1: Well, hold on. I mean just just to play that through to conclusion, right? I mean, should you are you entitled to customer service for something you're not paying for because as as the point has been made at that if you're not paying for it, you're you're not technically a customer, you you're the product.
0: <sighs> Correct, but I think there are I think they can be better at the customer service. I'm, I I you know, I'm not saying that you need to have the ability to have a phone call to to a direct person, but you at least need the ability to have an effective customer service to reach someone you know there's there's too many stories of small businesses and and people having their accounts taken for, through no fault of their own and they have absolutely no avenue mm. i mean i've had clients and it's not until i go to the media that that it that meta is willing to listen um and that's that's not
1: appropriate i think what all of this is sort of slightly boiling down to is is this what would you actually pay for like what service what function
2: I want to be able to control the actual UI. So like in terms of having the screen, like I mainly watch stories on that thing. So it's like maybe the stories thing being bigger and I can choose what friends I want to make sure like are popping up and I don't have to be fed videos from random accounts kind of thing. Like I think... That I, I know that because that, I used to have that discovery panel and it was like your main feed used to be like content from people you actually followed. And then that second panel thing was like the discovery. You can watch random videos and whatever. But they seem to have put all that into the the first screen now, which so I would pay to be able to. But, but this is the problem with social media. it's It's only well if my only if my friends are going to do it. It's like, well, I'm not going to pay unless all my friends are paying because then it defeats the point in the first
1: place. So it's the modern equivalent of like a best and a party—you have to. Bring yeah, hold yeah, it's like who's going? <laughs> uh, for you, Meg, what would you actually What on those particular services do you think you would actually pay for?
0: Um, well, I would need business services. I would, and it would be. Yeah, it would be business services. So I want to know that I have access to a human when things go wrong. I don't necessarily need their guidance on advertising or their guidance and strategy and how to use the platform. It's actual customer service when things go wrong um, and helping us to to fight some of the issues that the businesses have, you know, cut down on spam comments and things like that. Right now, when I look at the budgets for, my, say, myself versus budgets for clients, I don't see how I can justify paying $7,000 dollars a year. if That's what this becomes. When I see if I'm actually talking about the future, I know you asked me what I'd pay for. I'm struggling to find it because what I see the future is is falling more into websites and EDMs and things like that. I don't know what I'd pay for. Um, mm. Right now, nothing. Not a tick. <laughs> <All right. laughs>
1: that is a gauntlet thrown down to the meta universe. If you can find something worthwhile that Meg would <laughs> sign up for, yeah. I reckon others would sign up too. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology, and culture. And actually, interestingly, this week in Canberra, a very interesting statement was added us. Many people will know that NBN Co have a thing called Skymaster, which is basically where you can connect to the internet from uh, remote and regional areas. And then there's also a competitor, which is Starlink, which is, of course, uh, a progeny of uh, Elon Musk, the world's favourite Twitter owner. And at least one senator in Parliament said that, Elon Musk is running rings around you. And that was said to NBN. Meg, why was that statement said? <laughs>
0: Oh, because uh, he's doing stuff that the government can't um, on many levels. No, what it is is that this um, his his internet system is far better than the government NBN system, and the it all comes down to the technology, which is way over my head. But basically, Elon's is faster than the government's, and people want to know why. And why in twenty twenty three are we in a situation mm-hmm. where we don't have decent internet in regions?
1: Mm. Uh, is that assessment of SkyMaster necessarily correct, Jesse?
2: Well, I mean, we've only had about 10,000 people uh, abandon it, um, moving over to um, Starlink. So, uh, look, there, there hasn't been a massive uptick just yet, but I think. It, customers are just going to go wherever is better, like especially if you're in a regional or remote community. Like I grew up in the Torres Strait Islands and, yeah, I mean, you're talking about accessibility and internet. is The internet is the gateway to access for everything, for education through to jobs, through to, you know, living in a 21st century society. So I think it's really like, well, whichever is the better service is the one that I'm going to be moving to. Um, but it will be interesting to see whether... Uh, yeah, the rest of Australia kind of picks picks it up. I think it is a bit more expensive, but I think most people would pay more money for a better service.
1: I mean, even just anecdotally with people I know who live in areas where uh, the, the only real options are Starlink or Skymaster, there's such a diversity of opinion, Meg, between them. Like some people swear by Skymaster and other people who've moved to the Starlink swear that it's a massive improvement. I guess, is that something we can expect ongoing, that it's just going to be this very mottled experience p- across the country?
0: Yes, now finally something I'd pay for, a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I do I think you know there is there, Australia is such a vast country with with so much and they, you know we're talking about satellites and there's a yeah. lot of technology. I do think that we are what it is going to come down to is what's going to deliver the best most consistent customer experience. And in the world where we are relying more and more on technology to do absolutely everything from, as you said, jobs and banking and, you know, Mm -hmm. life, school, education, everything, um, it's going to come down to, yes, we will pay more if it is a consistent, reliable experience.
1: And how badly you do or don't want to get into bed with Elon Musk?
0: <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna forget that part of it for a little while.
1: <laughs> we are out of time. Huge thank you to our guests this week, Meg Coffee, social media strategist extraordinaire. That's right, I'm committing <laughs> to it. Ah, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the program again. Oh, I
2: love it. Thank you.
1: And Jesse Hughes, creative technologist. Thank you so much for joining us again on the show. Oh, it's
2: fun. I'm going to go mourn Instagram now.
1: <laughs> It'll be okay, buddy. Just go to, just go to TikTok. All the things are there. You'll be fine. I will. Join the kids, yeah. And with that I shall leave you. My name is Mark Fennell and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show.